This week I'm starting a brand new series, and the series is called The Making of a Leader. Everybody say a leader. I thought, what better way could I speak to the congregation than a movie that goes over just a fantastic leader? And so we're going to, this whole series is going to be after a movie, and uh, every week is going to be themed from a clip from the movie, and we're going to start right now. Now, I do have to say, if you're watching online, uh, I'm not allowed to put this online because it's not ours, so you're just going to have to break for about four minutes and then jump back on because I know that God is going to speak to you today. Uh, Let's play that clip. The making of a leader. Let me tell you what these four weeks is going to look like, y'all. It's going to be awesome. So today, I'm going to talk to you. The title to the message is going to be Ordinary World Changers. Uh, so if, you want, if you're taking notes and you want to write down the title, Ordinary World Changers. Next week, I'm going to talk about the leader within you. Okay, so we're going to, Mufasa is going to talk to Simba, and I'm going to talk to you like he's talking to Simba, the leader within you. And then the third week, of course, is Akuna Matata. And so you don't want to miss week three. It's going to be a lot of fun. And week four is going to be finishing strong. I'm very, very excited. I really feel like the Lord is speaking some things to me to give to you, and it's going to be great. So that opening scene in The Lion King, here's what we see. We see animals coming from, and that's the reason I wanted to show the whole clip. You see animals coming from everywhere, and they're coming from everywhere to honor the birth of Simba. Simba is eventually going to be their leader. He's eventually going to be their king. It's the very firstborn of Mufasa. And so they're coming to honor this birth. They come together to honor as they raise him up and everyone just goes nuts and they honor and they celebrate the birth of Simba. From the moment that Simba was born, he already had a destiny, right? He had a legacy to uphold. He was born to lead. And some of you can relate to that. Like from the moment you were born, there were expectations from you. You didn't even know you had expectations from you, but there was expectations. Your parents had expectations of you to take over the company or your parents had, somebody had these expectations and you were born and you knew that you were born for greatness, to lead. It was spoken into you and, and all of those kind of things from the very beginning, from the moment you were born, you were born to lead. And you knew it. You were like the lion that was being raised up and the celebration took place. Others of us in this room are kind of on the opposite side of that. You're like, nah, 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 nah. I'm not the lion. I'm just living life. I'm the zebra down there. That's just, you know, when the lion gets lifted up, I'm kicking and and screaming for the lion. But I'm not necessarily the leader. I'm more like, I like the background. Anybody like the background? Like, I like the background. I want to be in the background. I don't really have what it takes to be a leader I'm just helping out. I'm nothing special. Now, whichever category you put yourself in, because probably everyone in here puts yourself in one of those categories, whichever category you put yourself in, here's what I want you to understand. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you give your life to God, it is a new birth. The Bible says that you are born again. You know what happens when you get born again? When you get born again, you are raised up by God. And there is a celebration that says this person is born to make a difference. Maybe not when they were born, but now that they've been reborn, they are reborn to make a difference. They have this new birth. And just like in The Lion King, when when Mufasa has him raised up, God has us raised up in honor. And he says, that is my daughter. That is my son. And I have them to lead. 
Lead their families, lead their friends, lead their communities to me. I have called them to stand up and do what's right no matter what. Honestly, I believe if you will let him, the Holy Spirit in the next four four weeks is going to wreck your world. Because so many of us in this room, you have not thought of yourself as a leader and God has already ordained you to be a leader. And I, I believe with all of my heart, if you will allow him to, if you will allow him to speak these things into you and put these things in your heart, he's going to raise you up as a leader. Again, the title is Ordinary World Changers. And I want us to look at one of these world changers in the Bible. He was a very ordinary guy. His name is Nehemiah. Anybody know who Nehemiah is? Who's Nehemiah? Nehemiah was a cup bearer. What does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a king. He wasn't even a warrior. He was a cup bearer. What did a cup bearer do? Like job description of a cup bearer. They grab the cup of the king. They drink the wine. They sit there and they hand it to the king. Now, some of you are thinking, when I grow up, I want to be a cup bearer. I get to drink wine all day long. That sounds great. Except for the reason that the cupbearer is the cupbearer is because on a good day, then you're the cupbearer. You get to drink lots of wine and hand it to the king, and it's a great day. But on a bad day, somebody tried to poison the king. You drink the wine, and bam, you're dead. This guy is the cupbearer. In other words, he's a nobody. We don't mean he's a nobody. I mean, if he dies, it's okay. We're setting him up that if he dies, it's okay. He's a cupbearer. Everybody say he's ordinary. ordinary. He's an ordinary guy who heard about something that bothered him deeply. And because of that, God raised him up to change the world. If you have your Bibles, look with me at Nehemiah chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 through 4. It says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. In the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to, visit, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, listen to this, things are not going well for those who have returned from the providence of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now look at verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Now let's unpack this for just a minute because some of you, maybe you have no clue what's going on in this story. So the walls of Jerusalem have actually been down for about 140 years at this point. And this was a huge embarrassment to the people of God, to the Jews, to Israel. Their walls are torn to pieces. It was embarrassing, but it was also made it to where they were very vulnerable to attack. The people of God were depressed. They looked at life like they had no hope. Life is never, ever going to get better. The walls are torn down, and that's just the way that it is. Now, real quickly, I want to go back to how they got themselves to this place, because I think that's very important. How did they get themselves to this place where there's this massive embarrassment to themselves and to God, and all of their walls are torn down? If you go back and look at the history of Israel, when God blessed Israel and he put them together as a nation, here's what he told them. If you obey my commands, 
And if you serve me and me only as your God, I will bless you. Your enemies will be my enemies. And when you go, you will conquer the lands that are around you. That is the blessing that he spoke if you will obey my commands. Everybody say, but. But if you do not obey my commands, then he says, I will hand you over to your enemies. We look at history, we look at history, we look at what happened. Israel started with worshiping God and knowing God and loving God, but they decided might as well worship some other gods too. And so they brought in some other God worship and God looks down and he told them, if you will obey me, here's what I will do. And if you do not obey me, I will hand you over to your enemies. And so what happens? He hands them over. To the Babylonian people, they come in and they wipe out the city. They tear down and burn the walls. They destroy the temple, which is the ultimate embarrassment to God and to his people. And they tore down and took, took the people into captivity. Now, years later, obviously 120 years later, we're at years later, Persia became the dominant power in the world. And so what happens, oh, thank you. What happens is Persia becomes this dominant power and the leader of Persia says, I'm going to allow some of the Jews to go back into the city. And so some of the Jews go back into the city and they begin to try to rebuild a few things. They try to put together the, 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 the temple, not like it was, but so that they could have a place of worship and they do a few things. But here's the deal. They can't put the walls up because nobody around them wants to allow them to have the walls up. And so they're just in this place where there's like no hope until... One man, a cupbearer, a glorified butler, an ordinary guy had this Popeye moment. Popeye moment. Anybody know who Popeye is? Some of y'all don't. Popeye the sailor man. For those of you that do not know who Popeye is, play that clip. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't help myself. I have four kids, and so I can really relate to my mind works with cartoons. And so he has this, Nehemiah has this Pi Pi moment. Pi Pi was this cartoon character, okay? He had this girlfriend, and her name was? Olive. Y'all are pretty good at this. Her name was Olive, and he had this enemy, and his name was? Brutus and so every single episode episode Brutus comes and he steals Olive and he either puts her in this really dangerous situation or he tries to get away with her and so when he tries to get away with her Papa has this moment and in this moment he usually says this that's all I can stands I can't stands no more And at that point, he squeezes and the spinach comes out and he eats the spinach and he has this electricity that just goes through his body and he goes and he whoops up on Brutus every single time. And so Nehemiah here, he has a Popeye moment. He's got this moment that says, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. Every now and then there's something that you look at and say, no. I'm not going to tolerate that in my home. I'm not going to tolerate that in my life. That is not okay with me. That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. Somebody say amen. Amen. Listen, as we're jumping into this message, here's what I want you to understand. God has called every single believer. How many? Every Every single believer to be a leader. And he has a plan for your life. And he wants you to make a change for him. So this morning, I want to show you three principles 
of how God will use ordinary people to change the world. Who are they? If you're taking notes, first one is this. They are people who will sit down and cry. Number one, people who will sit down and cry. I'm going to be honest, that does not sound very manly. Amen? But it is ridiculously humbling. And you know, I found the more humble that I get, the more that God gets involved. People that will sit down and cry. Ordinary world changers sit down and cry. Why do they cry? Because they're so passionate about what they see that they believe that something needs to change. And it's burning inside of them, this burden, this passion to see this change take place. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4 said this. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. For days I mourned and fasted and prayed. He did the very same thing, if you remember, that Jesus did. When Jesus was on a hilltop and he was coming into Jerusalem and he looked out on the city. It says as he was looking out on the city, he stopped and he sat and he wept. And you know what he did right after he wept? He had this pie-pie moment. They said, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And in his weeping and in this time, he braided him a whip. And he goes, and the Bible says that he cleared out the temple because they had made the temple this marketplace. And when he looked down on that, he could not stand to see God dishonored in that way. And he said, I can't stand. Well, he didn't say it. But he had this pie-pie moment. I can't do it. No more. I can't stand. No more. Nehemiah heard about Jerusalem, and he cried. He didn't cry a little bitty cry. He cried one of them ugly cries. You ever see anybody cry an ugly cry? You ever see a lady that has lots of makeup on and she cried one of them ugly cries? What happens? Makeup is everywhere. It's on the chairs. It's on the altar. It's everywhere. Why? Because at that moment, she doesn't care about those things. Ever cry one of those cries where snot's just going everywhere? (laughs) He cried an ugly cry. The Bible says that he sat down and he wept and for days... He mourned. Why? Because he could not stand what was going on with the people of God. You know, another thing that's very interesting to me is he had never even been to Jerusalem. And he was 900 miles away. I've never been to Jerusalem. I'm 900 miles away. That's how you know that it's from God. Because I'm 900 miles away and I hear about what's going on in a place that I've never even been. And God puts it on me. His Holy Spirit puts it on me. And I sit down and I cry and I weep. And I get burdened inside of me to see a change because I'm not okay with what's going on. Nehemiah opened his heart and he said, you know what? This isn't okay and I'll do whatever I have to do to make a difference, to make a change, to change the circumstances What I want to do to you and with you this morning is I want to push you a little bit and ask you, what is it that breaks your heart? Think about that. What breaks your heart on behalf of God? What is it that God dislikes that when you see that being done, it burns a passion inside of you that you can't stand anymore? I was searching to see what breaks people's heart on Facebook. And uh, a few days ago, and I found lots of different things. 
Lots of people said whenever children are neglected or abused, that's what breaks their heart. Lots of people said sexual abuse and violence, human trafficking, when a child is taken and they're put in a scenario in a situation where their, their, their body is being sold and it's not even their, their choice. Lots of people said in, injustice of distribution of wealth. Let me give you an, an example. There was a little girl that went on a mission trip and while she was on this mission trip, she was holding this little baby that a $5 shot would save this baby's life. Yet they didn't have the ability to get that $5 shot to the baby. And so the baby was going to die. And as she sat and she held that baby, it burned something inside of her to see a change made in that place. Maybe for you, it's people in addiction, it's orphans, it's mental health issues, it's broken marriages, abortions, fatherless homes, people being bullied, God being taken out of everything instead of put back into everything. If you really begin to think there's something that the Lord has pressed upon you, just like he did with Nehemiah, that he's given you a burden for. And I can almost bet you that if you will really allow yourself to feel the burden that he's given you, that you're going to say, why doesn't anybody else care about this as much as I do? You know why everybody else doesn't care about it as much as you do? Because God's given you that burden. Because God's wanting you to use you to make a change in that way. If we will open up our hearts, I believe that God can turn our burden into our ministry. He will raise up leaders that you never knew was even inside of you. Who does God want to use? Who does he use? He used those that are humble enough to sit down and cry, burning with passion to make a difference. Number two in your notes is this. God uses people that take the time to pray. Anybody ever forget to pray? You just went from like the burden into the action and then you went, man, that was stupid. <laughs> Just me? Okay. Well, that's okay. <laughs> so the very first thing that Nehemiah does after crying is he prays. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. You know, it's so easy for us to think, what can I do for this need? I'm just one person. This need is huge. What can I do? We give up before we even get started because we feel like failure is the only option. I tell you one thing that you can do is you can pray. You can go to war and you can battle and there is power when godly people pray. Amen. Which we're gonna see that take place in just a minute. But you can pray. The most important time that you will spend on this earth is the time that you spend talking to God and doing his will. But I'm only one person... Well, listen, God plus one person is always enough. Amen? Amen? Because he can use that one person to make the difference. Back to Nehemiah. Let me prove it to you. The whole rest of chapter one is this massive prayer that he prays, this powerful prayer passionately that he prays to God. Listen, first of all, I want to say the strongest leaders will be praying leaders. If you own a business, if you're leading anything right now, if you have a family, you need to be praying. And if you're not praying, you're not the strongest leaders. You throw that out there. So go ahead and get started and let's, let's start pumping our weights and let's start getting strong. Amen? Amen? Through this prayerful leadership, 
Something that should have taken place in years took place in 52 days. How does that happen? That happens when God gets involved. It's the only way it happens is when God gets involved. So when God gets involved, supernatural things can take place. But so many times we try to do everything without involving God. And when you do that, then you can only do what you can do, which is usually not very much. Amen? When God gives you a burden and raises you up as a leader, he can do amazing things in this world. I want to share with you a few things that break my heart. Anybody got those things that like you got just those two or three or four things that just when you see that it rips your heart out of your chest? I'll tell you one, one of them for me is people dying and going to hell. Breaks my heart. When I got saved and I realized that this thing was real, you couldn't stop me from trying to get other people to understand that this thing is real. Because I was out there, y'all. <laughs> Some of y'all know. I was out there, and when I gave my life to Jesus, and he came down, and I had an encounter, and I discovered who he was, and then it was legit, and it wasn't religion. It was a relationship that I had with him, and we had this thing going on. It wasn't, you know, this churchy, churchy thing. It was this me and Jesus thing. When I learned that that was real, this, this burning desire inside of me said, you got to stop people from going to hell. Amen. And so I started on my journey and somehow wound up being a pastor. But I became a pastor because of the burden that is burning inside of me to stop people from going to hell. The second thing that just burns with passion inside of me is hungry people. I hate seeing people hungry. It just burns me. I, somebody asked me a few years back, if you had millions of dollars and you could do literally whatever you wanted to do, what would you do? And I said, I would go to the hungriest place in the world and I'd open a soup kitchen and I would figure out how I could feed people. That's what I would do. It burns inside of me. It burns. There's this thing. I don't want people to be hungry. I hate it. Another thing, it doesn't have to do with Jesus as a political thing, but seeing the American flag disrespected and burned, it burns inside of me, y'all. Like, I think I might go to jail for that one. <laughs> I'm serious. I had this conversation with my wife the other day. You know, the other day we put all those American flags out in the front. Well, somebody had come by and they had took and snapped a few of our American flags. And I said, babe, you better be thanking God that I was not there. Because if I would have been there, something would have went down. It would not have been good. Why is that? I have this passion. I honor the people that died for me. The people that lifted that flag. Listen, you can say, I got my freedom and I can do whatever you want. And that's true. But I got my freedom too. And if you put down that flag, we got a problem. Amen. It's in me. I'm sorry. But it's there. No, I'm not sorry. I don't regret it. It's there. There's things inside of me that I burn for, that I'm passionate for. And I'm not sorry for it. Amen. Anybody got those things? This week, I want, I want to challenge you to allow God to reveal to you your burdens. Because I promise you that he can turn your burden into a ministry. So who does God use? He uses people that will sit down and cry. He uses people that will take the time to pray. Number three in your notes, this is the last one. 
He uses those who will stand up and act. After spending time sitting down crying <laughs> and a good amount of time in prayer so that now you can be directed by the Holy Spirit. When you're directed by the Holy Spirit, there's no need to continue to just sit around and cry and have prayer meetings. It is now time to do something. Everybody say do something. He's given you hands and he's given you feet and he has called us to be his hands and feet. And so we get our direction as we sit, as we cry, as we burn with passion, as we go to God and as we pray and ask him to give us leadership and direction. Then when we get that direction, we take action. In chapter two, it says that he went before the king and went to go taste the wine. And the king looks at him and he says, you, you look really sad today. And I've never seen that before on you. I want to stop there because this is really significant. For some of you, you're like, what do you mean that's significant that he was sad? You, you like weren't allowed to go before the king sad. Like the king, you never know what kind of mood he's in. So if you go in, you're supposed to be like all smiles, like as fake as you can be. If you're, you're you know, I, yes, sir, you know, whatever you want, king, that kind of thing. And so he goes in and he's sad. If the king was in a bad mood, he could have just been like, you know what, kill him. I don't want to look at his face right now. Just take him out. And so he goes in. And the king says, why are you so upset? And then Nehemiah does this thing that we all need to learn from. He butters him up a little bit. Anybody ever use buttering up as an art form? And so the king says, why are you so upset? The very next thing that Elijah says is, long live the king. Why are you so upset? Long live the king. (laughs) What's that got to do with it? Long king. Is that a new robe? What you lost, like 20 pounds now? You're looking good, king. We got a new crown. You know, you, you, you lost weight. Your, your bald head's looking good. You know what I'm saying? He does this little buttering up thing. And then Nehemiah chapter 2 and verses 3 through 5 says, Nehemiah says to the king, how can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king says, well, how can I help? Notice the next thing that he does. With a prayer to the God of heaven. Lord, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Mm -mm. I don't want to die today. (laughs) Give Give me some direction. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, if you're pleased with me, I ain't died. You ain't died. The wine's good. (laughs) If you're pleased with me, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Wow. That's a huge request, y'all. What's he asked? Send me to rebuild the city. I'm not going to send other people. I'm not going to sit here and whine about it. I'm not going to sit around and complain. Won't somebody do something about this? God has given me my burden. My burden is turning into my ministry. He's leading me and guiding me in what to do. And I'm going to take action even though I got to go 900 miles to do it. I don't even know if anybody's working there. But I'm going to find a way to rebuild the city because what God is doing in my heart. Wow. Put me in, coach. 
Think about this. I don't even know how to build. I carry a cup. <laughs> but God has stirred this inside of me. It's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. September 11, 2001. I was a 32-year-old dad. Just a couple years younger than me right now. A dad who was in a plane that got on the phone and he talked to people on the ground and here's what the people on the ground told him. There's planes flying into buildings. Your plane is being taken, taken over and it's gonna kill thousands of people. <laughs> Can you imagine getting that phone call? Huh? You sure? He gets this phone call. His name was Todd Beamer. Would you put his picture up? His name was Todd Beamer. Todd Beamer's on this plane. He gets this phone call. <laughs> it's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. What does he do? He takes action. Because that's what patriots do. And he jumps up and he goes and somehow manages to get up at the front. And he begins to get control of the plane and he flies the plane into a field. 32-year-old guy, he's got kids. He's got a lot on the line. And he decides, I'm going to save the lives of as many people as I can. That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And that plane was supposed to either go into the White House or the Pentagon. And this man took it upon himself to take action. Somebody's got to do something. I'm on the plane. I guess it needs to be me. Can I be honest with you, Christians? Jesus' church has been heavy burdened for a long time with very little action. And it is time for the people of God to have a pie pie moment, a Nehemiah moment. You know, I think about the history of Clawson. Kevin Pogue was burdened. He was burdened to build a church in a community that was for the community. And out of that burden came what we know as our Clawson family. <laughs> Louis Salazar had a burden that he wanted to see Hell House implemented at Clawson Assembly of God so that we could see the maximum salvations that we've ever seen. And because of that burden, even though Lewis is not still at church here, that has been intertwined and interwoven into our DNA and hundreds of people are still being saved because of the burden that he had. Frankie Strickland had a burden he got saved and God rocked his world and he decided, I want to get as many kids in Rivercrest as I can and bring them to church. And that was the very first bus ministry of Clawson Assembly of God. <laughs> Vicki Powell had a burden to feed people. And we gave away 201 boxes of food just two weeks ago. People get fed every single month. Thousands of people a year get fed because of the burden that God gave her. 
Jamie Acosta had a burden to see people pulled out of their addictions and most excellent way got started. Nick Call has a burden right now to see people delivered from demons and demonic activity and spiritual things and depression and anxiety. And he said, you know what? I have this burden. God has given me this burden. I'm not just going to sit around and pray about it. I'm going to do something about it. Mm. Mm. I want you to get this in your spirit, y'all. God's given all of us burdens. And because of those burdens, he's built a ministry through that burden. That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. Now, I understand probably some of you are hesitant because you feel like you can't do everything. And the need that you have and the burden that you have is so great. Well, pastor, I can't, I can't adopt every kid. <laughs> no, but you might could adopt one kid. Pastor, I can't foster all of the kids. What about one kid? Well, pastor, I can't feed every hungry person, okay? But could you feed one or two or 10 or 20 or buy boxes of food and allow us to feed them for you? You can't do everything. I can't do everything. But I can do something. And if he's given me a burden, then it's up to me to allow him to lead me in that burden to do something. My burdens become my ministry. And God has a ministry for you, whether that be your family or whether that be outside of your family. I believe God's gonna speak to so many of you throughout this month. And that you're going to step up and you're going to lead through the burden that he's given you. Would you stand with me this morning? As I begin to close, I want to ask our worship team to step up and come. And as the worship team's coming, I want to invite our altar team to come. And I'm going to ask if you're, if you're standing here, would you, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you? At the beginning of this message, I made a statement. And my statement was that when we give our lives to the Lord, we're born again. He gives us that new life and he lifts us up and he honors us. And the, the church, the family celebrates that new life. I believe that there are people here today that either have never received that new life or maybe you've received that new life and then you've walked away from it back to an old life. And if you're here today, I just want to say that God is here. His people are here and we want to celebrate that new birth. If you're here and you're not in the right relationship with Jesus and you know that he's called you to step up and go get your life right with him in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to step out and come and either come and find somebody to pray with or come and find a place where you can pray by yourself. Every head bowed and every head closed. Others of you are here today and you are born again, but you realize that through this message, God's called you to lead. You have a burden in your heart and right now you're having a pie pie moment. That's all I can stand. I can't stand, no more. And if you would like to be anointed into your calling, into your ministry, or you want God to give you direction and guidance,
then in just a minute, as we begin to pray, I'm gonna ask you to step out. We would love to pray for you. We would love to anoint you into the ministry that you have. Every head bowed and every eye closed as the band begins to sing. If you're here and you say, Pastor, those two things don't really relate to me, but I came this morning and my heart's heavy and I have a need. And I need prayer for the need that I have. As we begin to sing this song, if you need to get your life right with the Lord, if you have a need or if you have this burning desire and you want to be anointed and prayed for and God to give you direction in your calling, as they begin to sing that song, would you come right now?